Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Barry, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it on video this time. Welcome to the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham here in my office. I got my OSU stuff behind me. Colby definitely has his OSU stuff at his house, but uh, welcome to the show. And joining me as always, this time live and in the flesh, is Colby Powell. Colby, uh, welcome. And I, I got to imagine the, uh, the the Powell household is uh, riding high after a thrilling win against Tech. Powell household is feeling good, Carson. It was uh, another Great, just truly great college football Saturday. It was a little more stressful than maybe I would have liked, but yeah, Powerhouse is good. I uh, This is not where this Oklahoma State stuff normally sits. I had to do a little rearranging, redecorating this morning so I could get a, a good background here. I got the in-laws in town hanging out with the baby. It's it's a good day at the Powerhouse. That's good. Uh, again, hopefully people can either comment or, or tweet at us. The comments, live chat's not working. I don't know why. I did all the setup and told it people – allowed people to comment, but it's not seemingly working right now. But thank you for all of you that joining are joining in, watching us live. you got 74 of us in here now. We're going to do the show like we normally do. Uh, Colby, again, before we taped our uh, preview show on the Texas Tech game, I was concerned about this game. And just about every reason I had to be concerned came to fruition. Now, and I'm really kind of mad at myself that I didn't bring up Baron Morton on the show because I had heard there were you know, people in Lubbock were debating, should they give Morton a shot or should they stick with Donovan uh, Smith, the other quarterback that's been playing, putting up a lot of offensive numbers, but also throwing a lot of interceptions. I kind of heard they were thinking about this young kid. And of course, Colby, I don't know how you felt, but when I saw the news that uh, he'd be getting a start, all the backup quarterbacks of Christmas past, of nightmares past, kept running through my head. OSU has a terrible history with backup quarterbacks. Brock Purdy, the first game for Iowa State of his career was in Stillwater when he lit up OSU. So I, w- I had bad vibes going in Colby and uh, they were furthered once I learned that and saw the kid, saw the arm talent the kid had as well. Yeah, I was only really scared at one point yesterday, Carson. It was about 2.15. We had just gotten in the stadium. We had sat down. We were comfortable. I got out my phone. I checked Twitter. And I see that Texas Tech has benched its starting quarterback in favor of the backup against Oklahoma State. And like you said, Carson, it's PTSD. It's immediate PTSD. Because I knew in that moment, I thought to myself, I thought, okay, the backup is better, obviously. They wouldn't be throwing him out there if they didn't think he was. Oklahoma State didn't prepare for him all week. It, uh, it's going to be tough sledding early on for this Oklahoma State defense, and it was. I mean, Baron Morton came out there, kid had arm strength, he was accurate, he was spinning it, clean spirals. I mean, the deep ball on their first touchdown of the game in the back corner of the end zone, that is a perfect throw. That was not bad coverage. It's We're going to talk a lot about the Oklahoma State defense, the difference between the first half and the second half, but, you, you know, they played well. Texas Tech played really well early in that game. They, they threw something out that Oklahoma State was not expecting, and Oklahoma State wasn't ready for it. Baron Morton was a good player. I was really impressed with what Texas Tech did the entire first half. The aggression, they go for it on fourth and one at their own 34 on the first drive. They try the onside kick. Now, they did make a big mistake on the onside kick. Texas Tech did. You've got to drive that thing into the ground. You can't kick it straight up in the air. All the Oklahoma State guy has to do is wave his arm, and that's Oklahoma State ball no matter what. So they did make a mistake there. But 
just the aggression from a coach who knew that they were going to have to do some things to pull off the upset. I was, I was definitely scared of the backup quarterback curse. And I tell you what, at the end of the first quarter, I, uh, you've been sitting there with my family in the stands, the guy behind us, we were talking all game. I'm like, look, I, this one's going to be close. Throw out what you thought you knew before the game. Cause this kid can play. Yeah, not only can he play, like he's going to be a problem for, you know, Mike Gundy commented afterwards. He asked what what class the kid is, and Morton's a redshirt freshman, and Gundy was just, his response was, that's a problem. And and it is, because he reminded me, it felt like I was transported back in college. Every time you face Texas Tech, you didn't know who the quarterback was going to be because they had like one-year starters seemingly every year. But what you knew is the kid was going to have a big-time arm, they were going to spread you out four and five wide all day long. Those little short passes to the flats are basically Texas Tech's running game. And you were just in for a long day. You're going to face 80, 90, and in Saturday's case, 104 plays. And it just felt like to me we were watching Graham Harrell reincarnated. It felt like I was watching Graham Harrell again, just dropping back, you know, 80, 90 times throughout the game. So you got to give Texas Tech a lot of credit. You know, I said they're probably the worst team in the Big 12, and I, I think that's wrong. I think that's got to be probably Iowa State. They can play defense, but they really struggle to score. And I just – I was really impressed with, like, what you mentioned, Joey McGuire. He obviously coached with Dave Aranda at Baylor, and he must have gone to the same analytics class when it comes to the, the fourth downs because he clearly showed no fear. Some of that – is your your Texas Tech and you're not Baylor? Sure, I mean you got to take some chances going to Stillwater to win, like the onside kick. But a lot of it is he trusts the analytics of going for on fourth down, and it, it kept working. And it's hard to it's hard to criticize that. But I, I just thought Tech pulled out all the stops, and they clearly to me have found a quarterback of the future. He was tough. He could run a little bit at, at the rushing touchdown. Uh, could scramble a little bit, and I just think. It, more than anything, Colby, this is just what's going to happen week in and week out. There are no bad, quote-unquote, bad teams in the Big 12. And I thought Tech certainly proved they're going to be dangerous moving forward. Beating Texas was not a fluke. Even without the Morton kid at quarterback, they did that. So I think it's a constant reminder of what I was kind of worried about too, Colby, that there's some there's some spots on the schedule. You may not be playing the best team in the league, but you can certainly lose. And Oklahoma State is very fortunate that they won the game. Yeah, they are, and it's one of those things you, – you mentioned in the Big 12, there's just no truly horrible teams. Now, OU doesn't have a second quarterback, and when, when Dylan Gabriel goes down, they are truly horrible. When he's out there, they're fine. They're not great. They're not OU of the past, but they're fine. There, there's no Rutgers. You're not getting a Rutgers in the Big 12. You're not getting a Colorado in the Big 12. Uh, Nebraska, who leads the Big 10 West in the Big 12. You're not getting those games. You're getting Texas Tech. That's your soft week is Texas Tech. And that team can play. I, I don't know that Texas Tech will play a better half of football all season than they did in the first half yesterday. They just – they continue to make right play after right play in big moments. Four for four on fourth down in that first half. They were, I think, six for 13 on third down, which has been a staple of Oklahoma State's defense under Jim Knowles and under Derek Mason. And Texas Tech was able to move the ball. And that's kind of your, your soft spot in your schedule. There is no soft spot in the schedule in the Big 12. I, I was saying late in that game, I mean, they asked Morton to drop back. It's his first college start, and they've got him dropping back 75 times. You, you're going to get hurt if you're dropping back 75 times. I'm sitting there on that last drive as Baron Morton is limping around, just getting crushed play after play. Ben Kapinski, all of a sudden, Colin Oliver's wearing number 52, and uh, Ben Kapinski's all over him late in that game. And I'm thinking to myself, don't hurt the kid. You already beat him. 
don't hurt the kid. Everybody else still has to play him. So that last drive, I'm, I'm sitting here watching Baron Morton, and I'm like, get this young man off the field before we actually hurt him and the other teams in the Big 12 don't have to play him. Because I'm telling you, that Texas Tech team is going to play spoiler to some of the better teams in this conference. Kansas State, that was kind of matchups make fights. Kansas State was able to just do their little plot away, running back, uh, quarterback, little oh, no, 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 running they, they game. But... They, they turned it over like four or five times against Kansas State and we're right there in the game. That tells you how many problems they possess, to your point. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. No, that, that's that's a great point. All the turnovers, and they're still right there, kind of like OSU and Baylor last year. All the turnovers, you can still see this one team is fighting hard. They already beat Texas, and even without Quinn Ewers, that's a pretty decent Texas team, probably a better Texas team than we've seen in, in recent memory. Um, so that's a good win for Tech. They, they very easily could have beaten Kansas State or Oklahoma State. I'm telling you, the, the Baylor's in the conference – uh, who else are we looking at to maybe be there at the end of the year? TCU. I mean, these teams are going to have to keep an eye on Texas Tech because Texas Tech is not a pushover. Uh, you were right last week. I was wrong. I, I thought Oklahoma State was going to go in and wear them out. I did not give Texas Tech enough credit for how good of a football team they are, uh, how well coached they are. I thought the first half was a coaching expo from McGuire. It just, yeah, I, I was very impressed with pretty much everything that I saw from uh, Texas Tech in that first half yesterday. They're, they're going to be a problem in the Big 12 for some of the top teams. Yeah, they are. Now, you know, they're, they're not great defensively, and they're probably going to be in the latter half of the Big 12. But it's just, I said it on the last show, like it's so hard to go undefeated. Very few teams in the history of college football are able to do that just in the regular season, let alone postseason. And just this was a, a classic case of that. And um, certainly, let's, let's kind of go through the first half. And, and again, Colby, I fixed it. The comments are live. You can comment hey. as we're doing this show. I figured it out. You know, when you set up these streams, it says, is this made for kids? I said yes, because, like, we're not cussing on here. We're not doing anything. <laughs> I was trying to make this show for everyone. Well, apparently that disables the comment section. So I, I did some Googling, figured it out mid-show. So... Uh, if you want to comment, leave us a comment. We're going to start going through the game kind of as it played out. I mean, we mentioned Morton, just how great he looked. And that was a surprise, I think, for Oklahoma State that he got the start. But OSU, Colby, it could have been absolute disaster considering, first off, that touchdown pass Morton threw. Does, does he have any arm talent? My God, that was a hell of a throw for the touchdown. But then the onside kick, which you mentioned, we have to talk about it. Great call from Joey McGuire. I mean, this is what you have to do on the road in a big 12 game to win. If you're Texas tech for years, Colby, when I was at channel five, we would talk about just how brutal OSU special teams were that the years after Joe DeForest left town, OSU had the worst special teams in the country. They were awful. The kicking game, the return game, everything. It was, the house was on fire. It was brutal. They have the best special teams in the country now, bar none. I mean, this is like vintage Virginia Tech beamer ball, only with fundamentals. They're not just blocking kicks. They're doing everything well. And the fact that clearly they were coached up on the, the fact you could fair catch and they couldn't recover a perfectly executed onside kick is, is brilliant. And this just shows you how well they are coached, not only in special teams, but on the entire roster. And I think you had to give Mike Gunny a ton of credit he took a lot of heat, rightfully so, when they were so brutal on special teams because he said he was the one coaching it. Maybe he was just taking the fall, but he's really given a lot of credit to some of his analysts, some of his grad assistants, some of the guys that are on the fringes of the coaching staff 
for being so well coached in special teams. And that play, Colby, if Texas Tech gets that football and goes and scores and you're down 14 nothing, I don't think there's a long way to go, obviously. I don't think Oklahoma State is winning the game at that point. Every point was precious. They ended up winning by 10. That was a little misleading, but it's it's red. It's code red if if they get that that uh, onside kick this Texas. Yeah, it, it is, and that's Mike Gundy talked about it after the game. He was kind of asked uh, in his press conference about just throwing your hand up on the onside kick. Is that something that you guys practice? And Gundy, you can even tell I was listening on the radio, but I could tell that he said it with a smirk. He's like, "Pretty smart, huh? Pretty smart, huh?" You know, he's just he knows that is that is a well coached football team. I, I don't know how many schools around the country would know that. I don't know how many players around the country would know. And Mike Gundy even said, he's like, look, we had a veteran guy up there who's played a ton on special teams. He knew what to do. As soon as that ball went airborne, he knew, wave my hand, everything's good. All I do, stick my hand up in the air, everything is good. But you don't just know that unless it has been coached into you time and time again. Hey, if they try to, to get us with this, you throw your hand up, they can't hit you, they can't catch the ball, they can't do anything. It's and, and that's not a rule a lot of people know. You probably knew it. I know it because we're, we're football nerds. We get way too into this stuff. But I'm sitting in our section yesterday at Boone Pickens Stadium, and the flag goes up, and people are around, and they're like, what happened? Did it not go 10 yards? And I'm like, no, no, no. Their guy can't touch it. He's not allowed to touch it. As soon as, as, soon as you call for the fair catch, that's it. That is great coaching. And, Carson, you mentioned just the whole special teams. And since we're on YouTube Live, I've got my little paper here right there. Boom. Don't take good kickers for granted. Don't take good kickers for granted. Tanner Brown, good kicker. Tom Hutton, good kicker. Oklahoma State has had good kicker after good kicker. The only time we even notice, really, the kicker in Stillwater is on the odd, odd year that they don't have absolute studs kicking the football. And it is so taken for granted that Tanner Brown can just walk out there and make everything he looks at. It is so taken for granted that Tom Hutton, whether they're bringing six and he has to get rid of it quick, or they're bringing one and he can take his time and four step into it. Tom Hutton's pinning you inside the, the 10 or 15 yard line. That stuff gets taken for granted. And when you play the way Oklahoma State plays, where Gundy wants to rely on the percentages, it's hard for a team to go 90 plus yards uh, to score a touchdown. To go 95 plus yards is about a one in 20 proposition to, to score a touchdown. If you're going to play that way, you have to have guys who can execute those things. If you're going to opt for a 42 yard field goal, you better have a kicker who's going to make that 42 yard field goal. People, I'm telling you, just it's easy to do. Don't take the good kickers for granted. Well, it's funny you brought that up because I was thinking about, you know, all the things we were going to talk about today. And, you know, I had a, a bullet saved. Maybe, maybe not. I don't want to jinx anything for a certain kicker at Oklahoma State. And the more I thought about it, it's like a no hitter. You just you don't talk about it. Uh, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, the field goals seemingly are going in at a decent rate. We're just going to move on and not talk about it because it's like a it's like a no hitter, Colby. But Tanner Brown, whatever you do, whatever you, whatever position you may play, whatever your job is on the team, it's it's going noticed, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. We're just going to knock on more wood. But you're right; the, the the kicking games have been exceptional, from from punting to kicking. The punting's turning into an absolute weapon. We've talked about that. Tom Hutton was incredible. And and one last thing about the onside kick, I didn't know the rule just off the top of my head, Colby. I think you're more well schooled than I am because I I thought it was. I was like, well, that ball went 10 yards. What are they flagging for? Because you rarely ever see that done by a player, waving their hand for the fair catch on an onside kick. They're normally way more concerned about just falling on the football. And so I was very, very critical, and I still believe rightfully so, of Mike Gundy when the Central Michigan fiasco happened. 
he called for a play where Rudolph threw the ball out of bounds where he wasn't certain what the call was or else he would have lost his mind and gotten ejected from the game. He kind of just like took the, I was there on the field. I watched the whole thing play out. He kind of just took, either, oh, okay, well, I guess you're right. Like you didn't, you have to know the rule before you call something like that. And this is a, and so when I critiqued him for that, I want to praise him for knowing the rule inside and out, not only knowing it, but having every single player on kick coverage know the rule to where it was, it was second nature. He didn't wait a half a second to do it. He did it instantly. As soon as he recognized there was an onside kick, boom. That's, you don't just react that way without it being just hammered into your head. And so I want to give Mike a ton of credit for that because he knew the rule and you know how to exploit the rules too. That's key. The Texas Tech kid shoving, uh, I believe it was uh, either Bryson Green or- It was Jaden Bray. It was Jaden Bray. Bray. Shoving Jaden Bray before he can get a foot down, that's perfectly legal. That's knowing the rule, and that's how you win football games. So I just thought two very well-coached teams on both sides of the ball, and I want to walk back that criticism I had of Mike all those years ago and then say it that he's doing his due diligence now because that that was big time. And so they don't get the onside kick to Texas Tech. OSU kind of finds their their footing uh, what did you think about, you know, obviously Morton just played outstanding the first half. He was the story of the first half. What do you think about the offense? I thought uh, clearly Bryson Green is becoming a, a star before our eyes. I mean, it's interesting when him and Blaine, his twin brother, got to campus, you know, Blaine was kind of viewed as the the Tywin of the brothers, the one that was just slightly more highly rated, uh, was kind of had a little bit more fanfare and made more plays early in his career, did Blaine Green. And what we're seeing now is like Bryson can more than hold his own and he's becoming one of the best players on the team on the, on the offensive side, that touchdown he had early back-to-back games. He's had a touchdown on the first possession, all the other catches Colby. He just, he has such strong capable hands that it just seems like, and I thought Marshall Scott, who I, who I believe is in the, uh, in the chat, he's right. He tweeted that, you know, Bryson green's becoming one of those guys, you know, effort. He's down there just, Throw it. He'll he'll find it. He'll he'll get it. Uh, that's I, I couldn't be impressed. That that's someone who really stuck out to me in the first half. Bryson Green. Yeah, the touchdown catch was great. I mean, he he goes up. He's able to cut back inside, and then the wherewithal to roll over the defender. I mean, he's on the ground, but he can tell he's on top of another body. He just reaches the ball out. That's big time, uh, especially for an Oklahoma State team who's shown at times they've struggled to get that last yard. So that was big from Bryson Green. But forget the touchdown catch. Give me the fourth down catch from Bryson Green up the left sideline. I mean, that is just – that's a big moment in that game where if you don't get it, Tech has a chance to go down and extend their lead and kind of put you in a difficult spot here where you're, you're just – you're chasing even more than you already were. And that's a play where Texas Tech decides, look, we are going zero blitz. If you've got some way to, to beat it, go ahead, be all you can be. And you know it's a fade. We've watched enough Oklahoma State football. We know that it's a fade. And – Bryson Green over the shoulder, Willie Mays goes and gets it. And, and to leave no shadow of a doubt as to whether that ball hit the ground, it's one of about 85 plays they reviewed yesterday in Boone Pickens Stadium. It was getting absolutely absurd. All the reviews on obvious calls. Review the close ones. Just don't review the obvious ones. It was obvious that he caught that ball, and that was an unbelievable catch at a huge spot in the game. And that's kind of one of those plays, because it happened, I think, in the second quarter, that – kind of get lost in the shuffle and you forget about at the end of the game whenever you've got all this stuff happening in the second half to make the comeback, that's a play that that keeps you in a good position to make that comeback. If Bryson Green doesn't make that play, 
I don't know what happens. It's kind of the butterfly effect. So that was a great catch. Thought he looked unbelievable. Thought Jaden Bray looked a little rusty, to be honest. He, he just, I, I thought he wasn't kind of getting the same separation that we had seen, but I don't know what you really expect whenever a guy ha- has been out for so long. I just, again, I thought that he was a little rusty. Mike Gundy said in his post game that he's going to have to get back into kind of game form doing some of that stuff. What I'm really curious about, Carson, as far as the receivers go, uh, I don't know if it was a, a, a off day for Braden Johnson. I don't know if he tweaked something in pregame. I, I don't really know what happened with Braden Johnson. Oklahoma State's longest play yesterday was 32 yards. That was through the air. Oklahoma State's longest rush was 14 yards. Oklahoma State was having a tough time getting out of the phone booth. Braden Johnson is the guy who takes the top off of that phone booth and runs it 60 yards down the field. I don't know where Braden Johnson was. And what was even more interesting is after the game, Mike Gundy was asked about Braden Johnson. And he was like, huh, that's a good point. I didn't even really notice. I'll have to check on that. Gundy didn't know what happened to Braden Johnson. What happened to Braden Johnson, Carson? We need a milk carton for Braden Johnson. Uh, uh, Robert Allen, sideline reporter on the other podcast, reported that he was in concussion protocol. I don't okay. remember. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember a huge hit or any one particular play off the top of my head, but apparently that's, it was one of the situations where he probably got his helmet taken away and, and I and I don't I don't really begrudge or fault Gundy for or be downgrade Gundy to use his term for not knowing what happened. He's, he's doing a million different things trying to turn. Oh, no, I don't either. Yeah, I might have asked some point. point. Yeah. Huh? No, I just I wasn't I wasn't dogging on Gundy there. I was just saying I think it just very much flew under the radar because everybody's like, hey, Jaden Bray's back, and I'm looking over there and I'm like, oh, cool, Jaden Bray's back. Where's Braden Johnson? Because they need somebody to take the top off this defense, and Braden Johnson's that guy. Yeah. No, I. I'm glad you brought it up. That's where I wanted to go next. I think, you know, you and I have praised Braden as, as really emerging as the wide receiver one. And you saw what a detriment it is to not have him out there. Kind of reminded me a little bit of when Tay Martin wasn't able to go in some instances over the last couple of years where it really just, you can't take the top off the defense in the same way without, without Braden Johnson. And he's really emerged into that type of guy. And I, I think also, I think OSU kind of just, they're getting away from the run a little too much for my liking. Now, this is going to sound like, you know, OSU and Casey Dunn and Mike Gundy can't win with me because, like, I've been wanting them to air it out for the last two, three years and, and utilize Spencer in better ways. It just – it doesn't seem sustainable, especially when you lose your best receiver to just keep dropping back and passing. And I thought at times when they had to run the ball, particularly that, that game-sealing touchdown to Richardson, they ran the football. And – I don't know. I just think they were pressing a little bit in the first half, a little too much to, for uh, for my liking. Yeah, I'll, I'll say this about the run game. I thought that uh, I, I thought that there was somewhat of a lack of creativity in the run game specifically. You know, I like some of the stuff they did, bringing Jaden Bray across on the two point conversion stuff like that. I thought that there was some good creativity in the offense throughout the day, but the run game for three quarters was just Spencer takes the snap, gives to Dominic Richardson up the middle, and that was it. Two yards, three yards. That was it. That was everything you were doing with your run game. That last game, you get a toss going left. Zero times yesterday did we see the option. Not once. Spencer Sanders, phenomenal in the option. He's so, so good in the option. We didn't see it one time. You're struggling to run the ball up the middle, and I thought that the creativity in the run game didn't come really until the last drive of the game. I thought the last drive of the game when they scored a touchdown to seal it, they had the toss left to Dominic Richardson. Spencer kept it on the zone read a couple of times and was able to pick up a a hard run there on third down. But Carson, this is what I want to get into that last touchdown drive while we're on it. I I tweeted out last night that Mike Gundy said something after the post game and it felt like he was speaking directly to me. Carson, there is nothing. I'm telling you nothing that I hate more 
than a field goal late in the game to go up by six. A field goal late in the game to go up by six. You might as well sign your own death certificate before uh, they file it at the county clerk's office. It's a disaster. And I just knew. I was sitting there and I was having the conversation with my dad in the stands. I said, if they get to a fourth down, they're going to kick, right? Like they're going to go up six and I'm just going to sit here miserable for the next 10 minutes as we watch Baron Morton drive down the field. But then, but then Carson, after the game, Mike Gundy said on with Robert Allen, he said, I told Casey Dunn under no scenario. Are we kicking a field goal on this last drive? I said, you've got four plays. I don't care how you get there, but you don't have three. You have four. So go do whatever you need to do with four plays to get us in the end zone because we're either leaving this drive up by 10 or we're leaving this drive up by three. We're not finishing this drive up by six. And Carson, I almost teared up in the car on my way back from Stillwater. It was, I I hate field goals to go up by six. I can't stand them. And for Mike Gundy to say we were either going to be up by three or 10 after that drive, oh, it just, it spoke directly to my heart, Carson. Well, I, I think Mike's changed his tune on that. I think, you know, he's still in year 18 is it that I think he's still growing as a head coach he's still evolving and he's still learning and I think he's learned over the years that in big 12 football like that that's not going to win the game like you can't just make the the field goal safe choice just to go up you just can't do it and so yeah I I loved it I love that he told Casey done that and it's the right move you can't like kicking I've said this for years kicking field goals in the big 12 gets you beat 100% 100% of the time. Now, Mike would probably argue that after last week against Baylor. Uh, I think. Well, what, in, what about yesterday against in, Tech? I mean, he was kicking field goals yesterday. Tech, I tweeted out the, the Usher watch this video. Like, he's going to keep, watch this. I'm going to keep sending my field goal kicker out there and I'm going to beat you. And I'm cool with that too, Colby. I don't know how you feel when you have a Tanner Brown. You and I, when we started doing this show, they did not. And they kept trying 45 yard field goals with guys who had no chance to. Like once Alex Hale got hurt, they had no chance to make those field goals. And so I can live with that. And I can live with time and situation, which you and I discussed against uh, the Baylor podcast. But but no, I, I think that was the right call. And and I do think we need to talk Colby. You know, Spencer, I, he was great. We'll get to him. But I think a lot of people want to hear about uh, the defense. And I want to try to answer this one question. Uh, Aaron Yunt talked about – Aaron Yunt – said the TV crew was really disappointing for a 2:30 game featuring a top 10 team with the same, same with the officials. Yeah. We'll get to the BBs, but <laughs> they gave OSU like the Z team, not the C team. Like Devin Gardner has been in TV, maybe five minutes and you could tell now I'm, I'm all for him getting excited, but like, you can't scream for four hours, dude. So, so I wanted to answer at least one comment as people are, are floating in and leave your comments here. We'll get to them eventually, but glad I, glad I wasn't watching on TV. Oh, it was brutal. I mean, brutal. From the very, my dad texted me like five minutes into the game and said he had a headache from the announcers. That's how bad it was. Um, but the defense. So, like, obviously they struggled in the first half. We all can recognize that. The, the adjust, I've been asking for adjustments from Derek Mason all year. I, didn't, I thought he was slow to do that week one against Central Michigan. Hit and miss here and there. I thought they played really well besides two plays against Baylor in the second half, I thought they really made some crucial key adjustments in this game. Tech was killing them on the perimeter. That short passing game I mentioned, vintage Mike Leach, extensions of the running game, you know, that walk-in touchdown when they had the trips in front of the fourth receiver, like 
they, they were all sixes and sevens on defense. They had no idea what was going on on the perimeter. I thought they really played way more press, way less room for those receivers to operate and took away that, that easy, their version of the running game. And really they, they really started to tee off on Morton. You mentioned him getting banged up. He got hurt, I believe, like right before the end of the first half, was limping the rest of the game. And they finally let their dogs eat. I mean, Trace Ford was a menace. Colin Oliver as well. Brock Martin just continues to be one of the better football players to play defense at OSU, just tougher than nails. And I want to give Derek Mason a lot of credit, Cole, because it was kind of ugly there in the first half, and they made some really key adjustments. And, and yeah, they sure, they gave up some yards, give it, and they faced 104 plays, but they made some, some really good improvements in the second half. Yeah, absolutely they did. That first half was just – it was brutal because they kept picking up the third and fourth downs and your defense is just on the field so much. Also, that second half, it was beautiful outside. That first half, it had to have been so hot down on that turf. We were hot sitting in the stands. It middle of the week, it was supposed to be a high of like 64 Saturday. It ended up being 72, but the sun was just shining bright. 2.30 kick. It was hot down on that field. And they faced 70-plus plays in the first half, I think. I mean, it was just – it was unbelievable – um, what they, they went through in that first half defensively just from a sheer amount of plays. The fact that they faced 104 plays and only gave up 31 points, I mean, that ends up being a pretty good performance. It looks totally disastrous at halftime, but you play two halves. They adjusted well. You know, Tech comes out that first drive of the second half. You, you think you've got them backed up. It's second and 18. Then they go down and score. And at 31-23, Carson, at that point, I don't feel great because at that point you got to score a touchdown. You got to get the two to tie the game up. You still have to get some stops on defense. And there was no reason at 31 23 to believe that they were going to get stops on defense. And then all of a sudden something switched. And Mike Gundy said after the game, he said, the adjustments that we made at halftime, they didn't really do kind of what we expected them to that first drive of the second half. And then they fell into what we planned for and we were ready for it. That combined with the fact we talk about the defense getting tired because they're on the field so much. Baron Morton game shape is a real thing. And to go from not playing at all to being asked to drop back 75 times. That's a lot, man. I think it was actually uh it might have been more. It might have been 78, 80 times or something like that that they had Baron Morton drop back, and he started to look tired in that second half. Those, those big 320-pounders on the offensive line for Texas Tech, they started to look tired in the second half. Oklahoma State didn't look tired. Ben Kapinski, he's like turning into a specialist at this point, Carson. Not, not some great story. A specialist who comes in in the late third and throughout the fourth quarter with super fresh legs and just go after the quarterback. Put him in there on, on pass plays. Let him go after the quarterback. Gundy talked about it after the game. You, you line up on the tackle. Basically, Ben Kapinski is going eight-yard bull rush, turn around, quarterback sitting right in your little pocket there. Ben Kapinski's all over him. So, uh, yeah, I think that the first half was exhausting for both sides. But in the second half, Oklahoma State's defense is the side that still had the juice to get the stops, whereas I thought Texas Tech started to look tired, uh, especially at the quarterback position with a guy who hadn't played. So, you know, it's like we get, we get the question from uh, at Burner Poke on Twitter, were we sleepwalking in the first half on third down defense or is Tech that good? I think that there were definitely some mistakes that Oklahoma State made, but I also think that Texas Tech in the first half, they were winning on first and second down, setting up a lot of third manageables. Several of their fourth downs were fourth and one, fourth and two, and, and I just thought that they did a good job putting themselves in position to have success. I really, I, I don't know that Tech will play a better half of football this year than they did in the first half. The way they coached it, the way the players executed, they did a really good job, and sometimes... 
I, I understand the the desire to get upset and to freak out whenever things aren't going well and you're a favorite and you're at home and you should be the better team, but you're not playing against air. I mean, there's guys on the other side that they, they play these games for a reason. If, if they just let Vegas set the lines and chalk it up as a win, none of this would be any fun. There's 11 guys over there who are ready to hit you the same way you're ready to hit them. And I mean, Texas Tech came to play. I think it caught Oklahoma State a little bit off guard, but when it was, when it was time in the second half to buckle down and go win the game, that's what Oklahoma State did. I, I was very impressed with the resiliency on defense uh, after a, a subpar first half in which they had to defend just way, way, way too many plays. Well, and, and here is where college football, it's in the year 2022, and this is something that has really bothered me with national talking heads for years. You can't just go on total yards and total points. This was a big talking point for Kyle Porter, who we're going to try and get on his live show eventually. He was busy this weekend. We'll get him on eventually. He was huge on this when discussing the 2011 Oklahoma State defense. You have to look at it at a yards per play basis. OSU faced 104 plays. They gave up yards per play-wise 5.0. That would rank in the country 91st in the country at yards per play. The defense played very well on that basis. You face 104 plays, even if the offense is just mediocre, you're going to give up a lot of yards. That's a ton of plays. Now, granted, they gave up a lot of third downs in the, in the first half. We, we know all that. But playing in the Big 12 and facing 104 yards or 104 plays, rather, is not the same as Iowa playing against Michigan with 12 dudes in the box or 11 dudes in the box inside the hash marks in running 40 plays. It's not even the same world. So you have to judge it based on the environment. I would love nothing more, Colby, than to see Iowa have to line up against that team we saw on Saturday against Texas Tech and have to face 104 plays with Graham Harrell's young Jedi Padawan throwing the ball over the yard. Like, good luck, Iowa. I mean, I talked about Iowa's pants turning brown. That would do it, too. I just Braylon Presley in the open field. And so you look at it as a whole, Colby. They gave up five yards per play. That seemingly isn't that great. But you look it up nationally, that would put them at 91st overall uh, with Wyoming. That's on the season basis. So I think the defense played really well. They got punched in the mouth early. Didn't know what hit him with this dude with a cannon slinging it all over the place. But they made key adjustments. You only give up seven points in, in a half of football against any team, let alone a team like Tech with the firepower they had at receiver and a quarterback. Job well done to Derek Mason and the defense. Not, not only the firepower, but the game flow, the way Tech's offense was moving, right? And, and I did want to read this comment that we got from Chi-Town Goat on YouTube. He said, let's not make Morton out to be the 2023 Heisman winner. Jet Duffy torched OSU a few years ago and ended up transferring. You're you're absolutely right. There have been some backup quarterbacks who've come in, have lit Oklahoma State up when Oklahoma State's not prepared for them, and then we haven't seen that guy really turn into too much at all. That being said, I, I don't know. Baron Morton. Brock Purdy did. Brock Purdy did, yeah. But Baron Morton is just big, tall kid, and I was really impressed with the arm talent. So, so maybe he'll be another Jet Duffy. I don't know. But Jet Duffy felt more fluky. He was running on you. That, that felt more gimmicky than Baron Morton just standing back there and just letting it rip all day long. Uh, I thought that he looked really good. Appreciate everybody uh, chiming in on YouTube. A bunch of people just dogging on the broadcast. Uh, the refs some a little bit. Talking about Preston Wilson now in the, uh, in the chat, Carson. And, and that kind of brings me to my next point. That's a game yesterday, Carson, when Oklahoma State has a 
bunch of guys go down with injuries at one point or another. Let's let's look here. Let me pull up the uh, the amount of injuries. They were on pistolsfiringblog.com. Head over to pistolsfiringblog.com. Here it is. These are the guys who went out at some point yesterday. Preston Wilson, Corey Black, Joe Mikowski, Brock Martin, DeMarco Jones, Xavier Benson, Jabbar Muhammad, Braden Johnson, and Tyler Lacey. Now, Mikowski, Martin, Benson, Muhammad, and Lacey all returned at some point. But, Carson, that is a list that I think in years past would have doomed Oklahoma State. If, if that amount of guys go out, these are impact players. I mean, Tyler Lacey, again, he comes back in, but Brayden Johnson, that's a big impact injury. Corey Black, Preston Wilson, I don't know how evident it was on TV that Spencer Sanders was having to do an unbelievable job to bring these snaps in and still have his timing right on his throws. I mean, he's reaching over his head, having to jump sometimes, catching snaps with one hand. By the time he brings the ball back down and starts his drop, the offensive line was not holding up very well today. Spencer, I mean, he'd have guys on him by the time he could control the snap. These are impact injuries. And in seasons past, Carson, we've seen this where it's just like one game a year where a bunch of guys go down. It feels like you're taking a TV timeout at twice a quarter because Oklahoma State's got somebody down on the field. And in years past, Oklahoma State, I think, would have been doomed and those injuries would have cost you a game. And that didn't happen yesterday. And that... That gives me so much optimism about the depth of this team moving forward that they were able to bring guys in and rotate guys through. And, I mean, they got better as the game went. So I I was blown away by their ability to have a next man up ready to go uh, when guys started dropping. No, and that's – you're right. I mean, years past, they just simply didn't have the depth that that they need to, to compete in the Big 12. That's just the truth of the matter. I am worried, though, you know, they just had the bye week before Baylor. It's going to be a long, long road to hoe to get to, to Jerry World. And you worry about games like this where you faced 104 plays, the injuries you just listed. Can this bleed over into next week? And they're playing a TCU team, which we'll talk a lot about during the week. This is going to be another marquee, you know, Big 12 driver's seat type eliminator game. And uh, we'll, we'll get to that game, too. But you're right. I think the they're far more equipped than they've ever been uh, to replace, you know, the injuries they sustained against Texas Tech. Uh, before we get to the Kendall Daniels uh, hit and everything that ensued after that, you brought up uh, Kapinski, and I wanted to talk about him. Marshall Scott wrote about him in his 10 thoughts. Go to Pistol's Firing blog and, and check out Marshall's uh, thoughts. Required reading after an Oklahoma State game. I guess I'd, I hadn't heard a lot about this Ben Kapinski. Apparently he's a walk-on and a redshirt senior, and he says he came here, quote, I came here originally just for my degree, and I tried out for the team, so that's always been my backbone as I've been studying construction. I'm on my fifth year of that. When I graduate in May, I'll be looking for a job. I've been focusing on my degree, so it's easy to stick around when your academics are your core. You want to talk about, you know, a lot of the guys try to talk like they're badasses, try to, try to portend that they're a badass, a dude who just, just in his free time, like walked onto one of the best football teams in the country. And oh, by the way, he's playing at the strongest unit on the entire team. Like you're a badass, Ben, ben Kapinski. <laughs> there, you don't have to do any talking. We, we get it. And not only that, you're studying construction. Like it doesn't get more impressive than that. Uh, the fact that he's not only playing with, with the room that he's involved with on the defensive ends, but making plays consistently, Colby. I mean, uh, what else can you say about the guy? That's damn impressive. Colin Oliver, Trace Ford, Tyler Lacey, uh, Sione Asi, 
Brendan Evers, Brock Martin, and Ben Kapinski has to be on the field in the fourth quarter. It's not, it, it is an incredible story, but it's more than that. To only call it an incredible story, I don't think really does justice to the work that this guy must be putting in behind the scenes to be ready for that moment yesterday in the fourth quarter. I mean, it's not just on that last drive, by the way. He was out there the whole fourth quarter wreaking havoc and making Baron Morton's life difficult. It's more than just a good story. It's an impact player who has seemingly come out of nowhere, who has put the work in, who has paid his dues, and now with all those guys I just listed, Ben Kapinski, he's just like – Another guy. It's just another guy you can rotate through with fresh legs in the fourth quarter. Carson, again, how many times on this podcast have we already said the number 104? 104. You cannot have the same guys rushing the passer 80 times in four hours. Those guys are going to be gassed. You know what you have then? You have Ben Kapinski. You have a walk-on who's out there as a senior putting in work with fresh legs in the fourth quarter. It is an incredible story, but I don't want people to only think about it in this context of like this fairy tale walk-on. It may be the fairy tale walk-on story, but it's also the impact player story who could help you win a conference championship because winning conference games I mean, they're trailing 31 to 23 at home in the second half of a conference game against what's not a great team, but Texas Tech is a good team. Those are the games that win you conference titles. Those are the games that get you to Jerry World. You've got to win the one-score games that are tight the whole way, and then they score the touchdown with three minutes left. Those are the ones you've got to win. And when Oklahoma State forced those three three three-and-outs in a row and Mason Cobb got the big interception, which was just, I mean, you can tell how much film he watches the way he rotated over on that play. Those are huge impact plays in what was a huge game to keep the momentum of your season rolling forward. Because you drop that one yesterday, and all of a sudden, you have to start questioning what is the path now to get to Jerry's world in this loaded Big 12 conference. That's just a big, big win, and Ben Kapinski was a big part of it in the second half of that game. So all the credit in the world goes to him because he's clearly putting in a ton of work behind the scenes that we don't see on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and you mentioned you have to win those games to, to win Big 12 championships. We all remember the Iowa State loss in Ames in 2011. We never talk about the 2011 win against Kansas State at home. That was back and forth, you know, very much similar to this game where they were down in the second half, and you, you're sitting there wondering where's this season going after this. We don't talk about it because they won, and we'd be talking about this Texas Tech game for a long time had they lost. So that's that's a really good point. And, you know, Mike Gundy – you know, for years has, has, has liked to, to punt the football. And I think now more than ever, he has reasons to with Tom Hutton, the way he's able to pin people deep. He did that again in this game. It led once again to a huge play on defense. I want to talk to you about it, Colby, is the Kendall Daniels hit. Should have been a safety. I was eating dinner with my girlfriend. I literally flew off the table, like, like launched up to my feet and you don't want to know what was said but I thought they were throwing a flag for roughing the quarterback <laughs> when the ball wasn't even gone yet. And that's what they actually called on the field. They said roughing the passer. That's what the, the guy motioned. Well, then you see the replay. It's helmet to helmet contact. And look, we can have a larger discussion about targeting and what it should be, but what it is, Colby, they're throwing that flag 10 out of 10 times. It's just, once I saw the replay, Till they change the rules, that's a flag, and it always will be. I think they're coached not to do that, much like the special teams play with the onside kick that we referenced. They're coached, and it's easy for me to sit here and say, you're coached not to do that when Kendall Downs is just trying to make a football play. Like, I, I get it from his side of things. 
but I also didn't lose my mind knowing that they're going to call that 10 out of 10 times. Yeah. It's so that play happened right down in front of us in the West end zone. I had a perfect view, the pockets collapsing and out of nowhere, Kendall Daniels is coming in and he is a human missile flying in between a huge gap that was created by the blitz. He is a human missile. And as soon as he hit Baron Morton, I saw the official reach. Just as soon as he made contact, I saw that official reach. Boom. He's in his pocket. Here we go. And, and Carson, I knew it was targeting watching it live. Now here's where we get into the idea that there have to be levels to targeting. I want that quarterback to be protected. I want Kendall Daniels to hit him a foot lower than he hit him. I want that quarterback to be protected. It's like Mike Gundy said in his post-game press conference yesterday. Everybody wants to chalk it up to a football play until that's your kid who's on the wrong end of a human missile coming through. And, and Baron Morton's looking down the field. He gets crushed back there. He gets absolutely obliterated. But there have to be levels to it. Kendall Daniels was not headhunting. He didn't take out a punt returner. He didn't go get a receiver across the middle of the field and, and decapitate him. This wasn't Dylan Gabriel sliding in the TCU game and gets hit late and gets his head taken off. This is a football play where Baron Morton, at the very last second, braces for contact. And in that brace, he just kind of goes like this, and he just kind of tucks his head down but by his collarbone. And that little bit of tuck gets Kendall Daniels to kiss his, his crown of his helmet off his face mask. It's just, I, I don't know. Kendall Daniels needs to hit him a foot lower. But does Kendall Daniels deserve to miss the rest of the third quarter, all of the fourth quarter, the first quarter against TCU, the second quarter against TCU? Gundy talked about yesterday, maybe it needs to be based on time instead of quarters. You, you get popped for targeting. It's 15 game minutes. You can't play for 15 game minutes or 30 game minutes. Whatever the game minutes is that you want it to be because the idea that if you target someone with 15 seconds left in the first half, you're just out for two quarters. But if you target someone with 14 minutes to go in the third quarter, you're out four quarters. It's the same, same penalty for the same hit. And, and we're doing two quarters or four quarters for how guys are getting punished. There have to be levels to it. I want Baron Morton to be protected there. Again, Kendall Daniels was a human missile flying through that line of scrimmage. You've got to hit him lower. But Kendall Daniels also does not deserve to sit the first half of the TCU game because he came in to make a play, and as the quarterback ducked, he was six inches too high. That is way too harsh of a penalty. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree. I think someone in the comments, uh, I'm looking up my tweet that I have to read, but someone in the comments mentioned it needs to be like basketball, you know, flagrant one versus flagrant two. Like they've completely lost sight of why targeting was created. And that's for protection. Now they're, they're simply robbing kids who get a very finite amount of college football games, robbing them of like large portions of football games for trying to play football. And it just, it doesn't make any, any sense to me. And so, yeah, like clearly the, the targeting rule needs to be, you know, changed and certainly revamped. And uh, <laughs> I tweeted about this during the game and I wanted to do a live reading for all the folks watching on uh, YouTube. I thought Chase Moritz, he commented on this tweet. I just tweeted, I want the person who came up with the rule to explain to Kendall Daniels, he can't play in the first half next week. Tell that kid who only gets 12 guaranteed games this year that he has to sit for trying to make a play. And Chase Moritz commented on this. I thought this, this, this absolutely killed me. I'm going to do a live reading. He said, Chase said, just popped in to say you could tell me this tweet was taken directly from the Gundy rant, and I'd 100% believe it. Read it with the cadence, and it's so good. So 
for our YouTube listeners. Uh, here we go. In the cadence of Mike Gundy. I want the person who came up with the rule to explain to Kendall Daniels, he can't play in the first half next week. Tell that kid who only gets 12 guaranteed games this year, he has to sit for trying to make a play. He has to sit for trying to make a play. Who's the kid here? You kidding me? Who's the kid here? So thank you, Chase. I thought that was hilarious. And hey, I'm almost, I'm, I'm 38, Colby. I'm, I'm approaching 40. Maybe when you approach 40 uh, close to the sun that you just turn into Mike Gundy. I don't know. That, uh, that is a very good Mike Gundy that you just uh, unleveled there. Um, and on your 40th, we're going to have to record an episode on your 40th, even if it's just a short one. Even if it's just a short one. I don't even know if your birthday's in football season, but we're going to have to get an I'm a man, I'm 40 episode when August you turn 40. August 1st, good way to kick off the season. Oh, right? we could a preseason preview. I should do just an entire reenactment with the, the, the outfit and everything in the newspaper. Uh, I think that would be good. That'd be really good. I'm a little scared for that because that's two seasons from now. We don't know if Spencer will be back next year. We know he won't be here in two years because he'll be out of eligibility. Carson, we're getting questions uh, on Twitter and on, uh, on YouTube about Spencer Sanders, and I thought that Garrett Wilson put it really well. How impressed were you with Spencer's poise and maturity yesterday? Feels like a game he would have forced the issue the past few years. Carson, the offensive line had injuries. They were struggling to run the ball. These are games in the past where a couple of those Spencer throwaways would have been forced into coverage and it would have gone poorly. He showed incredible composure yesterday when the offense really just kind of needed him to be a do-everything guy. He was a do-everything guy, and he has just become someone that you can rely on week in and week out. I, I am blown away. All of the growth and everything that we've talked about wanting to get from, from Spencer Sanders, it just feels like we've gotten all of it, and he was so poised and composed yesterday when things were seemingly all going wrong at, you know, 24 to 20 at halftime, 31-23 in the third quarter. Seemed like everything was going wrong, but Spencer was the calming presence that that team needed. Yeah, I mean, we've talked since Spencer became the full-time starter. We've talked for years about what Spencer doesn't do, what he should do. It's time to start talking about how great he's become. Look, it, look is he going to win the Heisman Trophy and, and you know throw for a, a bajillion yards? No. Is he a winner? Absolutely. And for us to harp on all the things he did negatively and, 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 all, and all that was justified, it's time to start talking about what a damn good quarterback he is. I mean, I thought David Pollock tweeted out my thoughts on it perfectly. He said, this is how you finish a game. Spencer Sanders having such a great year, running, throwing, whatever the team needs. And that's what sticks out with me with Spencer. Does he need to – to throw for 400 yards to be successful? No, you need him to scramble for a first down. And I lost count of how many times he ran just barely enough for a first down. That's, that's not by accident either. I think we just, we laud his athletic ability when he runs the football. That's instinct too, knowing where the marker is, knowing exactly how far you need to get, diving in the proper way to get across that line, not running east and west, or in OSU's case, north-south. Um, that That's huge. And that, that deserves praise. And I think he, he, for some reason, I think just the way his career started, he doesn't get nearly enough love nationally, but that's going to change. He keeps winning games the way he is. His numbers are, are good. 
He does what it takes to win. He's a football player who happens to play quarterback. And you know what he did after the game, Colby? I'm a channel Spencer. There's the sunglasses after the game. You know, Mike Gundy gets up there. This is for our YouTube listeners. I guess the audio folks can't see me. I'm putting sunglasses on. And Turn Mike the hat around backward, too. Yeah, I got to get the full effect. You know, Mike was talking about how he worries about Spencer. And he runs the football. He takes shots. And we all believe us, Mike. We, we all are when he starts running, given his history. But Spencer's waiting there to do his press conference. And he says, I'm a tough MFer. And that's what I'm going to remember about Spencer. I'm going to remember, sure, you know, the mistakes against Baylor in the Big 12 Championship game. That's that, that happened. But there's few quarterbacks that I know would dive headfirst for a fumble. Cam Newton got roasted over the coals. And that's one of the tougher quarterbacks you'll meet running football. Cam Newton didn't want to dive headfirst for a fumble in the Super Bowl. He's doing it on the road in Waco. He just, he's a winner, Colby, and I could not be more impressed with the season's having because he's doing whatever it takes. He's, he doesn't care about his numbers. He just wants to win. Yeah, no, he doesn't care about his numbers. The completion percentage yesterday, it was a disaster. You want to know why? Again, snaps are over his head. He's trying to bring them down. He's got guys on him. He had 22 completions yesterday on 45 attempts. He had more incompletions than he had completions. And I still don't think it was a bad day. I mean, of those 23 incompletions, probably 13 of them were just throwaways, just throwing it in the turf or throwing it out of bounds because guys were on him. He, he was just having to get out of there and get rid of the ball. Uh, at one point, somebody, I think it was maybe uh, mom or sister, was like, what was he looking at there? And I said, probably the guy that was fixing to drill him and he didn't want to have the ball in his hands whenever he did. It's just... You, you you need him to be poised, and he was. Even people on the uh, on the uh, the YouTube here zero zero turnovers from Spencer. It's just zero turnover games from Spencer. Oklahoma State doesn't lose those games. I think they're fourteen and one now in uh, in in Spencer's career. Whenever he turns the ball over one or fewer times, they just he doesn't turn the ball over. They win, and he has just. All but stop turning the ball over. It's it's occasional now. Instead of constant, you're expecting it to come. It's like, okay, once every two games, you know, I, I can live with two, three interceptions a month. You can win a bunch of games with two, three interceptions a month with Spencer Sanders. Uh, and this, too, from Andrew Petty on the YouTube. I also applaud Casey Dunn for keeping the ball in Spencer's hands when we really needed to score. I mean, late in that game, when Spencer's taking it on the, the zone read and going up the left side there off left tackle, that is trust from your offensive coordinator. That is Spencer Sanders being Spencer Sanders uh, and doing what needs done. That is just let your best player make a play. And and I thought that Oklahoma State did a great job of that yesterday. Uh, and, and like you said, he's just – he's a tough MFer. Uh, we know it. He knows it. I, I will say – he did limp off after the last touchdown drive. He's getting worked on on the sideline. Uh, yesterday on the way home, listen to the postgame show. Robert interviewed him in the locker room, asked him two quick questions that got two half-sentence answers, uh, and Robert was like, all right, we're going to let him go. He's headed to the training room. So I, I think Spencer's a little sore today. Uh, I think Spencer will likely be a little sore still Saturday against TCU. He's a tough guy. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trade him for a single other quarterback in the Big 12. He had the Theragun working, you know, like working out the – I'm sure he was cramping up just from all the hits, all the running, all that stuff. I, to me, it didn't look like a quote-unquote serious injury, more of just wear and tear from a long, long – that was a long game, as you know, you were yeah. there. Long podcast, um, had to break out the Theragun, Carson. Yeah. <laughs> he has less interceptions than C.J. Stroud. And, you know, Stroud's thrown 24 touchdown passes, so he's rightfully a, a Heisman front runner, But – Sanders pretty damn good, and he's limiting his mistakes. That adds some perspective to that. Uh, I did want to talk about before we just, you know, go to our bullets and BBs and answer any comments people may have. I, I thought uh, 
uh, Scott Bennett said, and goes back to his dorm, upset. My favorite line from the uh, Gundy rant. I should have added that in my impression. But I didn't want to hit on the, the game ceiling touchdown drive, Colby. Before we get to Dominic Richardson just shoving the football down Texas Tech's defense's throat, which I just – I loved and I want to talk about that. What did you think about Mike and uh, Casey Dunn allowing Spencer to snap the ball with 18, 20 seconds on the clock while they're literally trying to kill the game off? I thought that was bizarre. I get if you see something you like going, but they did it multiple times in a row. And then <laughs> – just to further confuse me, when the clock was stopped, they barely snapped the ball in time before the play clock ran out when the clock was stopped. So I, I was confused by what was going on clock management-wise. Yeah, I, I think – and Gundy did talk about this a little bit after the game too. It's just I don't think that they wanted to be a prisoner to the clock and, and just try to milk it at the expense of keeping their offense in rhythm because I think they knew – you're not running off six minutes from the opponent's 40-yard line is about what they would have had to do. And they ran off about, about three of it. But I, I just didn't feel like killing the clock at that point was the play. So it wasn't really worrying me. I, I thought you had one, one thing you could do on that drive to win the game on that drive. And it wasn't kill the clock. It was get in the end zone. So to me, if you give the ball to Texas Tech with a minute and a half left, if you give it to them with three minutes left, as fast as they were moving, I, I just – a minute and a half plenty of time for Texas Tech. So, to me, I don't know. If it's for – if it's in favor of the rhythm of your offense, I'm okay with it. Uh, if you've got the ball at the opponent's 40-yard line with four minutes left, okay, let's snap it with one on the play clock. But you, you do that with six minutes left on the play clock, all of a sudden you're allowing that defensive line to pin their ears back because they're looking at the play clock too. They know, okay, here comes the snap right now. You snap it with 14 on the play clock. They don't know exactly when you're going to go. Are you still going to look back to the sideline? So I didn't totally hate it just because of how much time there was on the clock and because of Gundy's comments post game, which let me know that there was no way they were kicking a field goal that drive. They were going to go score a touchdown. So you probably could have bled some more, but I didn't hate it simply based on the, the situational aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State needed to go run the ball and score to win the game, and they did it. And I thought that there were two plays on that drive. Spencer, third and six maybe, keeps it, goes over the left side, gets a big first down. That was just huge, huge, huge in that moment. And then the Dominic Richardson touchdown run. That is, I mean, there's a guy at the two-yard line ready to meet him. Stands him up like a brick wall. And Dominic Richardson refuses to go down. He just, he just gives a little half spin, and he just stays up because he knows help's coming. Help is coming. I got big boys ready to push me in the end zone. So what am I going to do? Just stay up. So he just stays up, just keeps chopping his feet. And all of a sudden, once they picked him up in the air, Tech was done. Because guess what? The guy's trying to keep him out of the end zone, weigh 230 pounds. The guy's pushing him into the end zone, weigh 320 pounds. He's getting in the end zone. And that just epitomizes the toughness of Dominic Richardson, the toughness of that team when it was the end of the game and Texas Tech was tired and it was time to go win the football game. What did they do? They wouldn't go down. They would not be denied. And that's just, uh, again, the, the word culture is overused, but Mike Gundy used it yesterday post game. And when it's 31-23 and it feels like the chips are down, I mean, that sideline, they knew they were good. They, they knew they were going to get it right and they knew they were the better team and I just, Carson, that's a game that I truly thought with about 10 minutes left in that third quarter, I really thought Oklahoma State was going to lose that game. 
And, and they ended up covering. They win by double digits. They won all five games by double digits, uh, despite a couple of them being close in the fourth quarter. That's just they're facing adversity, and they're overcoming it. it. It happened against Arizona State. They led by three early in the fourth quarter. It happened against Baylor. They've got all the momentum in the world. You're backed up third and 13 with your heels on your own goal line. Spencer makes one of the throws of the season. You get out of it, win by double digits. You're losing to eight by Tech at home in the third quarter. You get out of it, win by double digits. It's just adversity, adversity, adversity. And every time, who's coming out on top? Oklahoma State. It's just, it's fun to watch. It's a fun time to be an Oklahoma State football fan. Totally agree. And you got to give Rob Glass a ton of credit. Andrew Petty says, uh, says a lot about our conditioning that we just beat them up on the last drive. And I totally agree. Look, Tech played really well in this game. Their corners, I thought, were talking a lot of trash and playing really well. A lot of pass interferences that weren't called, I thought. But the point is, Tech's defense was talking mad. You know what? They were backing it up. It, it was one of those games where it's mono and mono. You know we're running it. We know you know we're running it. And watch this. We're going to shove it down your throat and you're going to like it. And I love that. I thought the way Richardson hit the hole, the way he hit, he attacked the uh, the tackler there, the way that you mentioned the offensive line literally just carried him across the goal line. Like, that was some big boy football. You know, the Big 12's gotten this rap for years. It's just this soft offensive league. Like, go tell that to those hog mollies up front at OSU and see where that gets you. Tell that to Ika, who met Dominic Richardson in the hole and ended up on his butt. Tell, tell that to those guys, because I thought – OSU has been seen as this wide open, you know, basketball on grass football program. Well, Mike Gundy's won all the games he's won because they can run the football. That's point blank period. It starts and ends with that. If they can't run the football, they're going to have a tough time. Brandon Whedon and them, they, they ran the football at will in addition to throwing to Blackman. Real, so real I, quick. Thought, I thought that was perfect. Yeah, I just want to say something about the offensive line and about the coaches. So at Oklahoma State, we've seen in Gundy's tenure – when a guy goes down on the offensive line, it spells disaster. And I think that over time, like you said, we're learning things about Oklahoma State football all the time. So is Mike Gundy. Mike Gundy's a better coach now than Mike Gundy was five years ago or five years before that. And I think that he finally realized, and he's talked about this a little bit this season, why is it that in these games, in the heat, with all these plays being run, we have got the biggest guys on our team, 330 pounds, and we don't rotate guys through at any of those positions. And they said this year, you know what? We're done with that. We are done being just absolutely dead in the water if we have one guy on the offensive line go down. We're not doing it again. So what did they do the first month of the season? They consistently rotated seven, sometimes an eighth guy through on the offensive line. And what happened yesterday? I talked about earlier. Injuries, but specifically offensive line injuries, and they didn't kill you. The offensive line was struggling, yes. Spencer was was struggling getting some snaps. That's There's some things that they're going to have to work out, but it wasn't a death sentence. And in years past, it has been. And I think it's a real testament to the coaches for, for just saying, no, we're not going to play five offensive linemen. We're going to play seven. And when one of those guys goes down, because they always do, we're going to be good to go because we've got seven that are ready to go. So we'd have to lose three to be down to an actual true backup offensive lineman. I think it was incredibly smart, and I think it paid dividends yesterday for Oklahoma State because despite the offensive line not being great, they were good enough. And in years past, when guys go down, they haven't been good enough. So testament to the uh, the coaching staff and a huge credit to them for implementing that strategy, which I think worked in a big, big way yesterday. It's a great point, and it's something I kind of forgotten about as we were discussing the game. But, like, 
And Andrew Petty says this is peak Mike Gundy innovation. And I, I've said this for a long time about Mike. He, he was one of the first coaches to really stop tackling in practice every single day, to have shorter practices. I remember when he first took over, he changed a lot of the ways that they practiced. And it was less hitting, which at the time was just unheard of. And it's just it's another example of I think you're going to start to see more programs watching what Oklahoma State's doing and doing this because you're right. They were the fresher team. And it does make sense because those offensive linemen, man, they're they're not going to take themselves out of the game. They'll play with one leg if they have to. You have to take them off the field for them in order to get the best guy on the field, the freshest guy on the field. So that's a, that's a great point by you. And um, we got uh, bullets and BBs time. You ready for that? Uh, I am. Yeah, I'm going to give my bullet. I, I thought about Ben Kopinski, but we talked about him pretty at length. I'm going to give my bullet to Mason Cobb. Carson, this is a guy who in back-to-back weeks now, I mean, you're playing conference games, close conference games, trying to get the season off to a good start, trying to keep the momentum going throughout your season. And you needed somebody to fill Malcolm's shoes. Nobody's going to be Malcolm. Malcolm's the best linebacker in the history of the school. Nobody's going to be Malcolm. But for Mason Cobb to come out his first year as a starter and look the way that he has looked, it's not something that I saw coming. And it is just... I'm over the moon with what Mason Cobb looks like. Uh, I'm telling you, Malcolm Rodriguez is watching these Oklahoma State games with a tear in his eyes. He's he's young Malcolm. He's, he's Malcolm 2.0. Gundy talked at length after the game about how much film he watches. They were talking about it uh, on the on the post-game broadcast. Hans Eicher and, and Holcomb and Robert and Dion Amade and those guys do a great job. They were talking about how Mason Cobb is just, he's a student. He's always in the facility. He's always watching film. Mike Gundy said after the game, he's like, look, I have no doubt that Mason Cobb got that interception because on his own. He was watching extra film. He saw something to rotate over. And Carson, you know, when you're watching on TV, you're very limited as to what you can see. You can see what they show you when you're watching on TV. When you're watching in the stadium, there's times your eyes just drift to one place or another. And for whatever reason, on on the interception, I was dialed in on Mason Cobb the entire play. And I swear he baited him into it. He just took half a step, two steps right, and he baited Baron Morton into that throw. But Mason Cobb knew where the ball was going the entire time. That is Hours and hours and hours that are put in behind the scenes knowing, okay, they're lining up this way in this situation. This guy's coming here, and if I step here, I can bait the QB into making that throw, and boom. That's a big turnover in a big moment. That's on top of the impactful, impactful play he made on fourth down last week. That's just, I mean, kudos to Mason Cobb for all the work that he has put in because he has far exceeded my expectations for what he would be so early on as a starter in his career. I think it's even still hard for Mike Gundy to process that he's playing so well because Gundy said yesterday uh, when he was on with Robert, yeah, he's, he's going to get some good experience this year, and then that kid, he's going to be a really good player next year. No, 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 Mike. That kid is a really good player today, and he's making big-time plays to help you win big-time conference games. Uh, so Mason Cobb gets mine. Yeah, I mean, that, that was probably the biggest question on the entire team coming into the year, and I think Mason Cobb's answering it in, in spades, and I thought that's a really good one. He, he's having an all-Big 12 caliber year. He really is. That's, that's the level he's playing at. Back, like back-to-back weeks, he's made arguably the biggest play on defense. And I love the video of his mom who's, who's, who was celebrating from, uh, I think they were from Utah, I believe, and uh, was cheering on her on her TV the, when Mason made the uh, interception. I thought that was great. So I, that's a great one. And mine, you know, I could go Spencer, I could go Bryson Green. Like you mentioned, we, we've talked about those guys. Both, both I thought were sensational. I want to give another bullet to Brock Martin. I mean, he gets hurt again. You can tell he's, he's playing like – 
he's playing not injured. He's playing like should need needs to like just take the pads off for a couple of weeks. He's playing with that. And he had a play late. I mentioned Tech just was talking so much smack. They were feeling themselves. He makes a hit on Morton late in that game. I don't know if you remember this, Colby being in the stadium. The the offensive lineman must have said – he said something to him. And Brock Martin turns around after hitting that quarterback and just gave him the giant MF or do you know who the MF I am? I'm Brock Martin. I'm tougher than all of you guys combined. And I just – when I think back to Brock Martin when his playing career is over, there are a few guys that have ever played at OSU that I would want in a foxhole with me more than Brock Martin. The guy has played through – an unfathomable amount of injuries. And he's just a damn good football player. That's not why he gets praised. He's a good football player, despite just all of his toughness and all those things you like about that part of his personality and, and everything he comes with. He's just a damn good defensive lineman on top of that. And just when he made that play and it was, he, he basically told that tech guy to shove it up as you know what, I just was like, I love Brock Martin. I would take 22 Brock Martins, anytime, anywhere, and go play anybody. I just – I can't have enough good things to say about the kid. Yeah, it's – again, you just talk about football players, guys who want to be out there, guys who want to hit, guys who live for that moment. Brock Martin's that guy. That's a good one. Uh, he deserves a ton of credit for what he does for this team. He just – he does a bunch of dirty work, uh, and, and yeah, he, he deserves a ton of credit. There's so many guys we could have given bullets to. Trace Ford was unbelievable yesterday. Uh, into the first half – there's a big difference between going into halftime down 24-20 and 28-20, and Trace Ford single-handedly took four points off the board. He comes off the edge. They run the little trick play. Donovan Smith, I think, was in there at quarterback. Trace Ford, I mean, he knows it's going out in the flat, and he knows there's nobody out there. Jumps up, bats that ball down. Big difference between going in down four and down eight, especially the way uh, early in that third quarter played out. Carson, my BB is going to go to the officiating crew for a couple of reasons, a couple of reasons. Not, I, I don't think Oklahoma State got housed by the officials yesterday or anything. I didn't think it was a, a too poorly officiated game, but there were a couple of weird things that were going on yesterday with the officiating crew. Number one, after the kickoffs. So after the kickoffs, Oklahoma State was coming out on the field and they weren't resetting the play clock at any point in time. At, at one point in time, Oklahoma State actually took a delay of game right after a kickoff. They weren't resetting the play clock. The delay of game, the, the, the center judge was preventing them from snapping the ball, essentially giving Tech time to line up because I guess technically Oklahoma State substituted because they brought 11 new guys on the field to run their offense. But Tech wasn't on the field. Play clock hits zero. Guy won't let them snap the ball, so Oklahoma State takes the delay game. They end up having to punt on that drive. And then there were a couple other times. The rest of the game, Oklahoma State was ostensibly just having to get out there and be ready, and the, the center judge was not getting off the ball until there were 10 seconds left on the play clock consistently. They always reset the play clock after the kickoff. They always get you time to get into your offense. N none of it made any sense. Also, I'm here for getting it right. I'm not here for four-minute reviews of obvious catches all day long. Texas Tech's running 104 plays. Oklahoma State can't run the ball. This game's already going to take forever. And now we are reviewing the Bryson Green catch for way too long. Ball never hit the ground. We are reviewing the Jaden Bray catch out by midfield for way too long. Ball never hit the ground. Just... Again, I don't think Oklahoma State got housed by the officials yesterday. This isn't a complaint like my team got screwed or anything like that. It just felt like there was this level of, hey, we're the power structure here. We're going to do it how we want to do it. 
it just it felt very weird the way that game was officiated and just kind of more of some of the uh, managerial type stuff that refs do throughout the game, which I thought extended the game and made time time management weird after kickoffs and stuff. So they're getting my BB for just weirding up the game with with what I thought was a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, I don't know how you don't allow a team to snap the ball and then flag them for delay a game. Like, how does that happen? Like, what are they supposed to do? Like, they have no chance. <laughs> you basically decided we're flagging this team no matter what. They, they can't do anything about it. <laughs> uh, that that was strange. And that's that's my BB, too. And, and I, you're so right. Like, I'm all like much like targeting. We, we've gotten away from why instant replay was was put in place to begin with. Instant replay was put in place after some very controversial game deciding calls were made, not the entire game calls. Like every call made in the game doesn't need to be reviewed. The college football has had this problem since they started. Their quote unquote rules for instant replay are review everything and make sure you got it right. They need to adopt the NFL, give them a challenge flag. You want to challenge a call, go for it. If you're wrong, we'll take a timeout. If not, we're making the call on the field and you're living with it. This idea that we're reviewing calls in the first quarter on whether it's a catch when clearly it was like, you just, just tell us you don't know what you're doing without telling us you don't know what you're doing. Like you don't trust, like the replayer official doesn't trust his line judge on a routine catch to make a, the correct call. We're reviewing that. And they don't Colby. They don't review the close fumble from uh, Stefan Johnson. Like, <laughs> yeah. If I'm a tech fan, I'm like, you reviewed every play under the sun and you don't review a turnover, a potential turnover. Like, and you can argue his knee was down before the ball came out. Who cares? The point is you can't just review every play. We, we've lost sight of why replay was in, installed. Now it's, we don't trust our own calls. So if there's any question in our minds at all, we're reviewing it. And it just, it makes college football longer than it already is. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's uh, so, something funny here on the YouTube. Colin Cook said maybe they were watching TikToks under the hood. That would make way more sense, Carson, than reviewing the Bryson Green catch for four minutes because they should have watched one replay of the Bryson Green catch and realized it was clean. Maybe they got caught up scrolling TikTok. That makes more sense. You can get lost in the TikToks now. I hear that. I'm not on TikTok. I hear like once you're on it, you literally just stare at your phone all day. So I'm, a little... I, I'm not on it either. Look at us. Look at I'm us being old. old. Yeah. I'm too old for that. I don't have Snapchat either. I'm, I'm, I'm beyond that. So everyone in the comment section, leave us some comments. We're going to move on and talk uh, what is an absolute dumpster fire down in Norman. Uh, it occurred in the Cotton Bowl as well. Uh, we got lots of Big 12 football to talk about. Uh, but first, I need to mention Chris's University Spirit. I didn't do it off the top. I, the, the live stream kind of flustered me here. But <laughs> we appreciate uh, Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at Chris University Spirit. Com. I'm sure it was lively. Did you make it over to Chris's before the game, Colby? Uh, we did not. Our, our plans were derailed. Sometimes when you have a six-month-old, that happens. She's a very good baby, but sometimes you don't always get out of the house when you want to get out of the house. So we, we had a buffer window. If we got out of the house early enough, we were going to go to Chris's, and we flew through our buffer window with uh, baby responsibility. So weren't able to make it up there, but uh, to all of our listeners, go support the people who support us at Chris's University Spirit. Uh, they've got the best stuff. You will not be disappointed. So, uh, Carson, I am just eager, eager to talk Big 12 football. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start in Lawrence, or do you want to start in Dallas? I want to start in Dallas. Go All ahead. right, let's start in Dallas. 49-0. I think, 
I don't even remember what I picked the score to be. I think I picked like 51-17 or something. I thought Texas was going to just railroad them. I did not think it was going to be a complete inability for Oklahoma to complete a forward pass, attempt a forward pass. I They couldn't do anything. It, it looked like an absolutely inept football team at every level. And it's something that I'm still processing a little bit. I was born in 1992. So I don't really remember watching Blake and Schnellenberger and those guys. My first memory of OU football is Stoops. So all I've ever known is these guys are better than everybody else. And as soon as you think that they're down, they're not. They're, they, they will just come up from the dead. This isn't that. This is very different. This is going to have to pull off a couple of upsets to get to a bowl game. This is bad, Carson. And, and Dylan Gabriel's fine. They will win a few more games because he is a drastic improvement from whatever is behind him. But how can Oklahoma, and don't tell me it's because Lincoln Riley left, how can Oklahoma not have a second guy on the roster who can throw a pass? I mean, they, they, it, it's Dylan Gabriel and then a bunch of quarterbacks who couldn't start at Iowa. I don't get it, Carson. I don't get it. That being said, I'm kind of enjoying it because they've been bullies for a long time. For a long time, they've been bullies, and now everybody is standing up to them, and the bully is getting punched in the mouth, and the bully doesn't like it. Uh, yeah, it's it's a weird world we're living in where Texas beats them 49 to nothing, and it doesn't feel fluky. Even if Dylan Gabriel comes back, I don't know that I can pick them to beat Kansas. Carson, we're living in the bizarro world, and I, I'll be honest, I kind of like the bizarro world. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, I was I was in like elementary school when the John Blake era occurred. It was great because, you know, all I remembered hearing was how, you know, all OU fans I was friends with, I, all I heard was crap talking and then they couldn't say anything for one, for a few years with Schnellenberger and Blake. So it was great. And then, yeah, Bob shows up. I thought, and look, they don't have Dylan Gabriel. If Oklahoma State had Spencer Sanders, yeah, it would be hard. It would be, it'd be tough to score and to, to get the offense going. Um, and OSU wasn't rated by their coach leading and taking all the good quarterbacks off the roster. So that, all that being said, I thought Brent Venables was an unmitigated disaster. That was under his watch that he kept trotting Davis Bevel out there, who ended up throwing for, I believe, 39 yards. You mean to tell me, e even if it's true, that there are no more, no quarterbacks on your roster, including Nick Evers, who was a highly rated four-star recruit. None of those quarterbacks behind him, General Booty, which is a ridiculous name, but he led the junior college ranks in passing. Even if it's true that those guys cannot complete a forward pass, you have to put them out there because the entire stadium is tired of seeing Davis Bevel. It was a total slap in the face to his fan base for trotting out Davis Bevel out there as many times as he did, the whole game practically. And they showed no fight. They completely laid down. Their defense is somehow worse than when Mike Stoops got fired and giving up all his points he gave up to Texas. They don't even put up a fight. And boy, was I wrong about Brent Venables. Because look, he's inherited some challenges. We all can admit that. But this is... Schnellenberger and Blake didn't lose this bad to Texas. How do you explain what Kansas is doing? 
with all the change they've had. How do you explain TCU, by the way? Sonny Dykes, his first season at TCU, taking over for a program that gave up recruiting. Gary Patterson hadn't recruited in three years. They seem – they're finding a way to get it done with their backup quarterback. They've got two. Tech's got two. I mean, everybody's Tech's got, got two, two, Carson. Kansas was lighting it up with their backup. Oh, yeah. you would kill to have Gunnar Gundy right now if that's their quarterback room. And they better hope and, – and here's the other thing, Colby. Even when Gabriel was playing, he was just a guy, like I said. He couldn't complete a pass in, in Fort Worth. He kept overthrowing everybody. So their defense isn't getting fixed. They are ripe for the picking. And I think if you're a big-money booster at Oklahoma, I question Brent Venables after that performance. We know the issues he's dealing with. But when you don't even make a change at quarterback after watching that for four quarters, it's a joke. And they actually did some nice things by running the Wildcat. They had some nice wrinkles. They go away from it when it's working. And then they start running the Wildcat to Davis Bevel's side, who for some reason's in the game. He doesn't attempt at blocking anyone. They're playing 10 on 11 on offense. It's Jeff Levy. I have questions about the offensive coordinator. Colby, OSU, this is Mike Gundy's chance, man. Don't come down there with your tail tucked between your legs. This is not the OU you grew up with, Mike. You cannot go down there and coach scared like you have so many times in Norman. It is time to go for the jugular and embarrass Oklahoma because they're getting embarrassed on a weekly basis, Colby. Maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe Gabriel will come back. Maybe they won't be a complete disaster on defense. But I don't care if they figure it out or not. OSU should go down there and beat the crap out of OU. They're, they're, they're terrible. Carson, our comment. Are they, the worst, are they the worst team in the Big 12? Yeah, that's not a question right now. That's not a question. Yeah, they're the worst team in the Big 12 by a decent margin. They've lost all three games at home to uh, Kansas State and then back-to-back weeks by 30-plus. Yeah, they're the worst team in the Big 12 right they're now. They're a nine-point favorite at home against Kansas, one of our commenters let us know. Yeah, keep in mind when these lines are being set, Vegas wants money on both sides. I, I think that there is going to be a national narrative this week that OU's quarterback was hurt, and that's the big difference. Again, they, they were dominated at every level of the field. Uh, Gabriel was out there against Kansas State when they got beat. They were down by two touchdowns late. They scored one late to make the, the final score look better. Dylan Gabriel was out there in the first half when they were just getting crushed by TCU. Would it have been better yesterday with Gabriel out there? Sure, it would have been. Uh, wouldn't have been the difference maker. They wouldn't have won the game. Th- this year's Bedlam card. It needs to be like 2011. It needs to be like 2011. You need to go out there with a far superior team and just bash their you-know-what in for four quarters. I hope that Mike Gundy does that. Uh, It's crazy to watch. And, Carson, I'll tell this. I I know you have a bunch of OU friends. I have a bunch of OU friends. I had a ton of conversations just from, you know, January to September with, with friends on the golf course, whatever the case may be, about Brent Venables. And... The prevailing thought from the entire OU fan base was home run higher could not have possibly done better. This is the guy to return Oklahoma to national relevance, get us back on the national championship stage. I actually have a, a calendar reminder in my phone, Carson, for a bet that I made with a friend of mine who, when Venables got hired, he said, unquestionably, OU will win a national championship within the next five years. We made a bet, and I put a, a calendar reminder five years from that moment in my phone because I'm like, there's no chance that he turns this into a national championship team in five years. Carson, my, my response to these guys, every time they were saying this, I would say, yeah, maybe. Maybe he's the guy. How could you know that? He's never been a head coach before. How could you know that? And the response is always, well, he's never been a head coach because he didn't want to. 
Well, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But I've never seen him do it. To assume that he's going to be great at it feels very optimistic when we haven't seen him do it. Man, it does not seem good right now. I, I don't know. It, uh, I, I would not want to be relying on Brent Venables to be the future of my program right now if I'm an OU fan because it couldn't have started worse. There is no possible way to start it worse. And I'll say this to OU fans too. I think there's a prevailing thought now. I'm in a group text, Carson, uh, with, with a bunch of guys we, we played golf with. Um, there's kind of this prevailing idea now that it's gone so poorly. Well, Lincoln took all the talent. This Give them a year to kind of rebuild, get some stuff in the portal, get back to being OU. I've got a news, news for you, OU fans. Barring a historically great offseason in the transfer portal, this is not a one-year rebuild and do not expect to be a 10-win team next season. This is a lack of high-level talent at every level on both sides of the ball, a significant deterioration in the talent that they've had the last, Carson, 20 years, 22 years since Stoops took over. It, it just, this one feels different. And it's happening at the worst possible time as conference realignment and stuff is happening. Um, and, and I'll say this. I don't know how many more bedlams there are, but I feel pretty confident sitting here today that OU is going to leave this state as the worst team in this state. And that makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. <laughs> I'm sure it does. And, like, look, like, he has some things he has to overcome. And, and Lincoln – they won like six, seven, one score games last year. OU was not a 10 win, 11 win team last year. They, their quarterback, Caleb Williams, pulled them out of the fire, much like Baker and Kyler and those guys did. Well, they don't have those guys anymore. And so we all know that OU was slipping a little bit based on all the one score games. They almost lost to Kansas last year before Kansas was any good. And all that being said, you are getting fundamentally embarrassed. Like they're not, their talent's not that bad. TCU would trade rosters with them other than maybe the skill positions. But like the idea that Lincoln just pillaged this program of everything, every valuable resource simply is not true. What is true is OU was slipping. They, they were winning a lot of one score games, barely hanging on because they had all world quarterbacks. And the, despite the fact they were slipping, Brent Venable is supposed to be the guru on defense they can't even tackle. They, they go untouched for touchdowns week in, week out, and it's getting worse. Where is this defensive mastermind that, look, I was wrong. I thought Venables was a home run hire. I thought, the, you know, he, you don't go from being the best defensive coordinator in the country for 10 years and not know what you're doing. Bob Stoops was a defensive coordinator before he got hired as a head coach. Like, but, man, the alarm bells should be going off in Norman. And I'm, not, I'm talking about the fan base. I'm talking about the people that make decisions down there. Because they're recruiting really well, but you're right, Colby. This is going to be a two, three, four-year rebuild. Because, and but even if you do rebuild the talent pool, can your coach coach his way out of a paper bag? Like, can you stop a, an off-tackle handoff? Because Texas just ran very vanilla stuff. Clint Ewers threw the ball to him three times and they dropped it. Like, like Texas was not great by any stretch. They just, you know, they're playing an inept football program. So, I wish OSU played them next week, Colby, because. There's no way in my mind, maybe I'm wrong, maybe they will, but I just can't imagine they're this bad whenever they do finally play Oklahoma. Luckily, it's not the last game of the year this year, but it's going right. to be a little while. It's one of those things, you know, for years, one of the things that they wanted to make fan, fun of Oklahoma State fans for was, well, y'all are just spoilers anyway. Y'all are just spoilers for the real football teams. 
That's what OU's relegated to this year. OU, the, none of their goals are accomplishable. They've got three losses in conference. They, they've got no chance to be what they thought they could. Um, they're, they're spoilers. That's all they are at this point. I want to read some of our comments. Our, comments are, our commenters are having a lot of fun uh, with the OU loss yesterday. Evan Berguglio, out of 114 FBS teams that played yesterday, 113 of them scored a point via touchdown, field goal, or safety. OU was the only team that did not score a point. Oh, that is beautiful. Uh, we've got a good one here from Colin Cook. Maybe those strobe lights scrambled their brains. That was pretty good. Uh, Aaron Yunt, that jump pass made me cackle so loud, I nearly woke my sleeping daughter in the other room. It just, oh, man, that's wild. Also, uh, of note here, Carson from Sherlock Holmes just said TCU has opened as a two-point favorite over Oklahoma State. Interesting. I mean, TCU really impressed me, not only with the win and, like, the weapons they have in the win over Oklahoma, but to go to Lawrence in a back-and-forth game, they did knock out uh, Daniels, the quarterback for Kansas, and Kansas backup had a lot of success. That gives me some some good vibes for OSU going down there. But they're they're pretty good, man. Like they got skill talent. I mean, find me better skill talent than their receiving core, and you, you're gonna be looking for a while. And I think Duggan's played really well this year. He's kind of realized all the potential. Adam Lunt's been a big fan of Max Duggan for years. He's finally playing to the caliber of quarterback I think he thought he would be. But, man, it's going it's to be a tough game, Colby. I mean, this is a, a really hard matchup, especially with the, the offense they have. I don't know how good their defense is. They do have some players. The Hodges-Tomlinson kid's been a really good player for a long time there. But I, I think favoring TCU might be the right move if you're Vegas. I think it's I think it's coin flip, and you favor the home team, and, and we'll, we'll see how it progresses, and we'll break down the game even further. But just the way they were able to go up there and win at, at Kansas, I thought was really impressive. Yeah, I did too. I think TCU is a much better football team than I was anticipating this year. I just, I don't know. I, I didn't think that they had it. Um, you, you're transitioning to a new era. I don't know. I, I just didn't think that TCU uh, was going to be what they are. I'm, I don't know that I'm scared of TCU, but I, I think it's a coin flip game. I think if Oklahoma State plays really well, they'll win. I think if TCU plays really well, they'll win. Uh, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. Hopefully some of those guys uh, are a little bit healthier than they've been at times throughout this season. Um, hopefully Spencer Sanders is right. Hopefully Brock Martin is right. Preston Wilson. Uh, Mike Gundy was saying he doesn't think that that is a real serious injury. So, yeah, I uh, – I'm, I'm all in on that Oklahoma State TCU game, Carson. I, I don't know. We'll record our preview later in the week, but I, I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I, I don't think that Oklahoma State is a 12-0 football team. I do think that there will be a loss or two at, at points throughout the season. It's, it's hard to predict where those are going to come. But it, it's a tough schedule. I mean, TCU uh, this week on the road. Texas comes to town the following week. Uh, we did get a question, um, Burner Polk, on, on Twitter. How scared of Texas are we after yesterday? Carson, I'll be real honest with you. I don't know how much we learned about Texas yesterday because OU was that inept. So I would say I'm as scared of Texas today as I would have been on Friday. I don't think we learned a ton. Uh, I think Texas is a good, not great team. And I, I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I'll be as scared of Texas as I am of TCU this weekend. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's just uh, me doubting that Texas can, can sustain any kind of success throughout an entire college football season. But I think I'm more scared of TCU at the moment. I am too, in particular where you're playing the game. I mean, going to Fort Worth is a lot harder than playing Texas at home. Um, I, I agree. I, I think Texas is more of a, you know, fringe contender, middle of the pack, Big 12 team than I think a team that's going to win the Big 12 this year. Whereas, 
And I'm also a little hesitant to, to anoint TCU. Look, they, they beat up on a relic version of Oklahoma football. They, they just embarrassed them in Fort Worth, which you got to give them a lot of credit for. But they struggled against SMU. They led Colorado by like three at halftime to begin the year. Like, let's not pretend like TCU some juggernaut Oklahoma State's going down to face. So I, I do think Oklahoma State can go down there and win. I, I'll have to look at it further on my picks. But, yeah, I certainly would fear that going down to Fort Worth more than I would facing Texas. Because, again, I, I thought he, I thought Ewers was good. He, he looks impressive the way he flicks the football. But I didn't think Texas was overly great. In fact, they let OU kind of hang around in early in that game more than OU had any business to at first. I mean, they are getting the wildcat run on them by – by a tight end. Like I know the element of surprise exists, but, but no, I, I didn't think we learned a ton more about Texas than we didn't already know. Now, would I rather face Hudson card than Quinn Ewers? Yes. I, I, I fear his ability to throw the football down the field, which again, I still think is one of the weaknesses for Oklahoma state. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I, I worry more about the mobile guys who can get out and go I, again, really small sample size with Quinn Ewers. Maybe he's a guy to be scared of. Maybe he's not. He played well against Bama. Uh, again, I think they were playing down to the level of their competition. I don't know. Oklahoma State has just kind of had Texas' number. Uh, for whatever reason, I, I feel better against them. This TCU game, uh, I'm not saying I'm picking TCU up. I'll probably end up picking Oklahoma State. I'm very bullish about this Oklahoma State team, but I don't know about you, Carson. It, they trailed Tech 31-23 at home in the third quarter. They led Arizona State by three early in the fourth quarter. They faced adversity, and they've overcome it. But it still doesn't feel like a 12-0 team. It's hard to go undefeated, man. That's that's not even a, a knock against them. It is hard, hard, hard to go undefeated. So uh, I'm a little worried about the one Saturday. But, hey, they, they played well in, in Lawrence. Uh, still backup quarterback for Kansas. Beam comes in, scores 28 on them in the second half. Uh, I do think Oklahoma State will be able to put up some points. Uh, I think TCU will as well. I think the, the bet there in that game for me is probably the over, uh, which is something, Carson, that you never want to bet if you're watching a Big Ten game. Dude, I mean, what are we doing in the Big Ten? How For this to be classified as football, it feels insulting to football, to Mr. Football himself, who birthed the game. It feels insulting to him and his family that we are calling what they are doing north of us football. It gets better every single week. It's kind of like OU, like just when you think they can't top themselves, the next week they do. And... <sighs> So I'm three years past being tired of hearing how good Michigan is. Indiana lost to Nebraska, okay? And they led Indiana by seven with eight, nine minutes to go in that game. And they scored two late touchdowns to make it seem like that game wasn't close. It was. That's terrible. Like, imagine Indiana trying to play against Texas Tech that we saw Saturday. Like, how many points would Indy, like Texas Tech have put on them? They're the team that lost on Saturday. Like before we even get to Oklahoma State and the way they can play both sides of the football. Like it's just crazy to me that Michigan, It's and again, it's helmet logo. We all get that. It's crazy. They get so much credit. Oh, Michigan, they're so good. They've played the weakest schedule of anyone in the country. Anybody. Name me one power five school that's played an easier schedule than Michigan. You can't find it. And then all of a sudden, Colby, Big bad Brett Bielema in the one of the worst power five football programs in the history of the sport, Illinois. They're just they're they're revitalized. They're revolutionized getting to play against Iowa. They win nine to six. 
Brett Bielema is up there, you know, running for two yards in a cloud of dust, just moving the football on these teams. Like the notion that these teams are good, it's just, it's amazing. Like I love Joel Klatt, but he's going to have Michigan ranked fourth this week. Based on what? Based on what? They've played nobody. They've, it's an insult to Charmin Ultrasoft when you compare that to Michigan's schedule. It's a joke. And again, let's watch Michigan face 104 plays from a wide-open Graham Harrell freaking second coming, okay? Like, it's a different sport that they're playing up there, and it needs to be judged as such, not, oh, well, look at their the total yards. They only gave up 200. Like, not even mentioning the fact that Iowa is allergic to the forward pass. If Iowa had a Baron Morton, they would have already built a statue of the guy. It would be unbelievable. It'd be like he was sent from Mars. They couldn't believe that an arm like that existed. So it's just, it gets better every single week. I've been saying this for years, but it's finally becoming apparent to the rest of the country, Colby, and I love it. We figured out Iowa's offense. Carson, here it is. Uh, Shahan Jaraha tweeted this out last night. So if I understand right. Who was that? Iowa, uh, Shahan Jaraha. Jaraha, I believe. Uh, let's see. Yeah, he used to cover uh, Big Twelve stuff for uh, Dave Campbell's. He's good I, I, I think I'm close on the name. Yeah, he's uh, he works for CBS Sports now, um, yep. and then does a good job. I follow him on Twitter. He he tweets out some good stuff, and this was good last night because I wasn't watching the Iowa game because, like I've said before, I don't hate myself. So if I understand right, Iowa just punted from their own 16, recovered a muff at the Illinois 35, went three plays for negative six yards, and punted, forced a fumble and recovered at the five, went, went three plays for negative four yards, kicked a field goal. It was a 15-play, negative 10-yard, 76-punt-yard field goal drive. If that is not the drive chart, Carson, it needs to be in the College Football Hall of Fame because I just it, – it's <laughs> Iowa. It, when, when you – when you drive across the Iowa state lines and they have the welcome to Iowa signs, they need to have the drive chart from that game on the signs so that you know what you're getting into when you cross state lines. Frame it like the land of punting and just no offense. It's the, it's gotta be like the best place for defensive driving in the country. I'm sure they're all defensive drivers because they certainly aren't offensive or offensive. Ah. This is We're great. We're on two hours here, Colby. Anything else before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, no, we got a little long-winded. Appreciate the commenters, uh, everybody watching on YouTube and hitting us up on Twitter as well. Another good football week. Carson, going to uh, watch a little witching hour action, some golf this afternoon. We got the Vegas golf, so we'll get a little, uh, little primetime golf. So, yeah, just a, a good sports weekend all around. Yeah, it was great. And, uh, again, Oklahoma State's 5-0. and Good teams win. Great teams cover. Thank you, Mike <laughs> Gundy. Number one against and the spread, power think, five. What's that? Number one against the spread, power five. Yeah, keep make them an underdog in Fort Worth. I mean, just add to that, add to that record. But again, I, I think give Mike a ton of credit. As my closing thoughts, and then you can end it, Colby. Just give Mike a ton of credit. That's a game a lot of teams lose. You got to give him credit. You got to give Derek Mason credit for the halftime adjustments. And Spencer is just a dog that I want leading my football team. And I'll say it again, too. I, re I reiterated this after the Baylor win. I don't want anyone else coaching Oklahoma State. I've always been intrigued by what they've built program-wise, facility-wise. Like when Mike retires, what's the program going to look like with a young, hungry recruiter? But 
I don't want to see it anytime soon. Mike's got this thing rolling. He's evolved as a head coach. He's doing things that he used to not do. And he's, he's one of us. He's an alum. That, that makes it even more special. So I, I want to give Mike a ton of credit. He's been awesome this year. Awesome his entire tenure, really. And uh, I can't wait to see where this season plays out, Colby. we got another huge one against TCU. You and I will break it down. But, again, I'm just – it's easy to take winning for granted. A lot of programs – a lot of the Blue Blood programs do that. I even think a lot of us, myself included at Oklahoma State, take winning for granted. Look what's going on down in Norman. Don't take it for granted. you got a heck of a head coach, and I'm, I'm happy Mike's here to stay for a long time. Yeah, that's very well said. When, when you're in a position, Carson, as a college football program, when there's no coach and no quarterback, you'd rather be leaving you at this moment. I, I don't know what it turns into. I don't know if it turns into a conference championship, a college football playoff. I don't know. Can't predict the future, but I feel the same. I, I wouldn't rather have two other guys in those two spots uh, as Oklahoma State looks to do something special once again uh, this season. Uh, shout out to all the commenters right now. Getting a lot of love uh, in the comments right here for our live show. We're going to keep doing these after the uh, – after the home games, sometimes we'll, we'll try to do them on Saturdays, depending on schedules. Uh, you know, it's tough. We've got families and stuff. But uh, at the very worst, we'll, we'll get them out Sunday afternoons. That way everybody can hop in with us, turn on the red zone, uh, and, and hang out with us on YouTube Live. So uh, appreciate everyone joining. Another great win. Uh, we're back at it later in the week, previewing Oklahoma State and TCU. Going to have to do some research for that one. It's going to be a good one. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, go Pokes! <laughs>